We are on Tubis Memehei Amabez 45b, about uh, seven lines from the top. In our first class on Memehei, on Da 45, we discussed, in the last class, we discussed uh, the topic of Ishtani Gufa, Ishtani Ketala, that what happens in a situation where uh, she changes, something happens to the girl, uh, where in our case, she gets older, and so she's above the age of 12 and a half. And the Torah tells us that these laws of the girl receiving skila, uh, stoning, the death penalty of stoning, uh, and it, the fact that it's also that it's done um, by the entrance of her father's house, this is all happening when she is between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. Um, and when it occurs, when she's between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, well, what happens in a situation where the this is a case where she she we have witnesses that say that she committed adultery and so she is deserving of the death penalty that happened that action took place when she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half all as an adult for for a girl it's once she's above the age of 12 she's an adult and so uh, she's deserving of skila of stoning however when they go to court, so then she's already above the age of 12 and a half. And if she's above the age of 12 and a half, so then it would be a different form of the death penalty. So which one does she receive? And so we had a whole back and forth. And the conclusion of the Gemara is that uh, she would still receive the death penalty based on, it goes based on the time of the Avera itself. When she violated the Torah at the time that she did the act of adultery, and that's what we base the death penalty upon. And it doesn't go based on the point in time in which they are going to court. Okay, so the Gemara now has a few more lines on this. And then there are two other discussions for the rest of this daf. The Gemara says, The Gemara says, Well, if it's true that we really go based on the time when it occurred, when the Avera took place, when the action uh, took place, and therefore she receives Skila, if it took place while she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, so then she still receives Skila, even though she's older than that right now. So then if that's true, asks the Gemara, that's, that's the result of her actually committing adultery. We know that the concept of Moti Shemra, what's found in the Torah, the flip side of that, of let's say the husband makes a false accusation, if he makes a false accusation, so then there are various ramifications. Number one, he receives lashes. Number two, there's a fine to pay. He has to pay a fine. Number three is that he has to stay married to her if he's uh, lying falsely and he and he brings false witnesses. So the Gemara asks, well, if he's bringing false witnesses about an action which took place, uh, so if if he says something about the, something that she did, his wife did, when they were halachically engaged, and she's between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. So then, uh, we should have the same, we should we should have the same rules. And there really should be lashes uh, in this case. And there should really be a fine in this case. Meaning, in a situation where, let's say right now they're going to court. And the husband is coming. And saying she's above the age of 12 and a half. Right now, she's above the age of 12 and a half. Uh, so, when he's going to court and says, well, she committed something. She committed adultery when she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, when we were halachically engaged. 
but it's true right now she's above the age of 12 and a half. The whole concept of the husband having to receive lashes and the fine and the whole concept of Mutishimra only applies if she's between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. Well, if we have the same situation where she's now above the age of 12 and a half when they go to court, so then why don't we say that there's also a fine? There is no fine. In this case, there is no fine. We don't put a fine on him. We do. He does not receive lashes. It, it, it can only be in a case where when they go to court, she's between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. And the question is why? If she receives skila, even if she's above the age of 12 and a half, but as long as the action took place when she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, so the same thing should apply to the husband in a situation where he's lying. If he's lying, so then as long as he's lying about saying something which occurred when she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, even though she's older now, so then he should still have be punished for it. So the Gemara responds back, what are you talking about? That's such a terrible argument. God should save us from such a, such an argument. It's not a logical argument. The Gemara says back, No, the opposite. He says back, no. You have a logical argument. God should save us from your argument. At the end of the day, why is it not a good argument? It's very simple. The time am I. Let's focus in, says the Gemara. And once the Gemara says this, so then it's, it's clear. Uh, but we have to focus in on when the Avera, the sin, took place. When it comes to the girl... If she actually committed adultery, it took place when she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. So if that's the case, so then she's deserving of skila, of stoning. That makes sense, even though she's older right now. However, when it comes to the husband, it's a false accusation. It's not even true. The whole thing is not true. When did he lie? He lied when she's above the age of 12 and a half, when they're going to court. That's when he's lying. He's lying and he's bringing false witnesses. That's when he's lying. At that point in time, she's above the age of 12 and a half. If she's above the age of 12 and a half, so then this entire topic doesn't apply. So when it comes to him and he's lying about it and he's bringing witnesses to court, well, she's above the age of 12 and a half. And so therefore, this whole thing doesn't apply. It would only apply if he comes to court when she's still under the age of 12 and a half, between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. And so therefore, we already have, in this case, a distinction, a difference between, let's say we have this one case of where uh, she does this action of adultery or she's accused of it between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half and they only go to court later on so then with regards to her because she committed and, and she really committed adultery we have witnesses that she committed adultery so then she would uh, be viewed punished as though she was between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half and she would receive skila however when it comes to him the husband the false accusation happens afterwards he's above the age of 12 and a half she's above the age of 12 and a half when he makes the accusation in court, and so therefore, this whole entire topic will not apply to him because it's only when, for him, when he's making, when he's lying and committing the sin, she has to be between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. Okay, that is the end of that topic. New topic. This topic now is about assuming that we're discussing a case where she is deserving of skila, of stoning. In general, the law is that if she's deserving of stoning, or if anybody's really deserving of stoning, they are stoned outside of the city. One would have to go outside of the city. There was a base askila. There was a place where they would uh, give the death penalty. However, uh, the Torah tells us that in this case of Anara Marasa, <coughs> excuse me, where um, witnesses come, let's say the classic cases, witnesses come 
after they get married. The husband wakes up in the morning and says, "Ah, oh, she must have committed adultery when, uh, when we were engaged." Uh, and she brings witnesses, assuming that it's true. Again, we're under the assumption now that it's true, and he has he has um, he has valid witnesses that are not lying. So then she receives skila stoning, not outside the city like it's usually done, but in the front of the of the father's house, and the entrance of the father's house. And we explained why in the in the last class. Um, Either to show that this is the parent's fault, she's a girl committing adultery at the age of 12. Alternatively, so that everybody knows that this did not take place while they were completely married. It only took place while they were halakhically engaged. That would be another reason why. But the Gemara wants to know um, the the reasoning behind some of these other rulings. The Gemara says, Classic cases where um, she's stoned by the entrance of her father's house. In La Pesach Av. Let's say the father is homeless. So then we go based on the city, the, the, the gate of the city in which she committed the crime. Um, wherever she committed the, the crime, the adultery, so then we do it in the entrance of that city. However, it concludes the Gemara. However, if the majority of the town of the city are non-Jews, so then it's not by the entranceway of the city. Instead, it's by the entranceway of the Beisdin, of the Jewish court. It's done not exactly inside the Jewish court. Some of the commentators point out that wouldn't be done inside the Jewish court. We wouldn't do it there. Um, we would do it a little bit outside the Jewish court. But that's if the majority are not Jewish in the town. So again, ideally, it's done by the entrance way of. Ideally, none of this should happen, and this hardly did ever happen. You need witnesses that warn the person. Uh, but if it did happen, so then I then it should be done at the entrance way of her father's house. If he doesn't have a house, so then it's by the entrance of the city where she committed the crime, where she committed the crime. If the majority of that city are non-Jews, so then it's done by near the Jewish court. So then it's doing done near then they do the skila near the Jewish court. Again, none of this is in a typical case of skila of stoning where it's done outside of the city. Here it's done inside the city. The question is just where? Uh, is it by the father's house? Is it by the entrance of the city? Is it by the entrance of the Jewish court? Um, it is interesting to point out that if the majority are not Jewish, so then it happens by uh, the entranceway, not by the the city, but the entranceway of of the uh, of the Jewish court. So Tosos here explains, one of the classic commentators on the page explains, uh, because the reason for this is that if the majority of the people in the city are not Jewish, so then it loses its status. It loses a certain status of being a walled city. It's only a walled city, halachically speaking, if the majority are Jews. If the majority are not Jews, it loses its status. Interesting idea. It loses status as being a walled city. Either way, the Gemara now just wants to know what is the source? How do, how do we know all these things? That where we give her skila? So the Gemara says, uh, The Gemara continues and says that the same thing would apply if a person um, uh, commits uh, idolatry, they serve idols, 
So then they received skila, stoning, by the entranceway of the city in which they uh, committed the sin. If the majority are non-Jews in that city, so then it's by the court, by the Jewish court. So the Gemara asks, how do we know that this is true? Where is this coming from? So the Gemara explains that these are all based on different drushos, different ways to expound upon the the, the Torah. The Pasuk, when it comes to the verse, when it comes to idol worship, says that they are killed by Sha'aracha, by their city. So their city is the city in which they, where they committed the sin. So is it the, is it the city where they committed the sin, asks the Mara? Or maybe it's the city where they are judged. Maybe it's by the, where they're judged, not where they committed the sin. And so the Gemara proves because it uses the same word Sha'arecha, your city, in two different contexts near each other. And so therefore we learn out that it's where they committed the sin. Not where the court is, but they are stoned in the, in the city in which they committed, where they committed the sin. Okay. Says the Gemara Dover Acher, Sha'arecha velo Sha'arei ovde kuchavim. Hai Sha'arecha hafikte, yim kinlim across Sha'ar, my Sha'arecha shmamina tarti. Says the Gemara, furthermore, how do we know if the majority of the people in the city are not Jewish? So then that's not viewed as Sha'arecha. So the Gemara explains, because it says Sha'arecha, your city, your gate. It has to be specifically your gate. It's only your gate if the if it's the gate to a city where the majority of the people there are Jewish. If the majority of the people there are not Jewish, so then the stoning does not take place there. The death penalty does not take place by the entrance of the gate. But it takes place by the court. The Gemara says, "Oh, we're learning two things from Sharecha. Number one, that it takes place in the city where the crime was committed. Number two, is that it only is by the entrance of the city if the majority are Jewish. How can we learn out two things? Yeah, we can learn out two things. One is from Shar, from the gate, and one is from, to <coughs> me, from Sharecha. Okay. The Gemara now has one last point on this. The Gemara says." Okay, you explained this for idol worship, but what about our case where the girl between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half committed adultery? How do we know that it's the same thing? So, Rashi explains that this is a rabbinic concept where we're connecting really many different words together, the same word in different contexts, but we have uh, we have this three times, occur three times, it's there to tell us that the laws with regards to idol worship um, teach us about the laws for uh, stoning for the death penalty when it comes to uh, this girl who committed adultery between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. So that's the end of that section. We just had a quick section about uh, where is the sto- where would the death penalty take place by the entrance of the father, which is what the Torah says explicitly, but then if there is no home, so then it's by the entranceway of the city. If the majority aren't Jewish, so then it's by the entranceway of the Beisden, of the Jewish court. Let's just conclude this daf. We will read and continue with uh, this last uh, section, another new point. Uh, and so let's just, we'll do this outside for a little bit, and then we'll see this inside, just as a quick introduction, is that... Uh, we are not no longer discussing what happens if it's true that she committed adultery. We're not discussing that case right now. We're discussing what happens if the husband is lying. So we pointed out, if 
the husband is lying and he accuses his wife of committing adultery while they were engaged. He says this after they get married, but he accuses his wife of committing adultery while they were engaged, and he brings witnesses, false witnesses. So then he receives lashes. He also has to pay a fine. Now, in the Torah itself, it seems to imply, uh, or there's at least a question. We'll see that it's a debate. Uh, the husband, in order for him to, to receive all these punishments, the lashes and the fine, do they have to just get married? Or do they also, meaning be under the chuppah and have a wedding? Uh, or is it also required for them to have for have the initial sexual relations? They've never had sexual relations before. So do they have to have sexual relations? And then afterwards, which is, seems to be the simple explanation of the Torah, the context of the Torah, is where they have sexual relations and he realizes that uh, she doesn't have her dam basulam. The hymen blood was not present, and so therefore he accuses her of committing adultery. Now he's lying. The case is where he's lying. But it, it seems from the simple explanation of the Torah uh, that we're limiting it to a case where they already had sexual relations. The question is, do we say that these laws apply even if they did not have sexual relations? They, they were married. They had a chuppah. They were married, but they never, before they're even having the opportunity to have sexual relations, he, he right after the chuppah, he wakes up and he says, ah, oh, she committed adultery. So would, would these fines and, and the lashes continue to exist in such a scenario? So this is a subject to debate. So says the Gemara, let's see this inside. Tanara Banan. Hamotzi Shemra Loke Venosin Nosin Mayasella. Rubihuda Omer, Locus Locum, Komako Mayasella, Baal Nosin, Lobal Inonosin. There's a very a vague argument here. We know that there's two opinions. There's the first opinion, the Tanakama, and then there's Rebihuda. The Tanakama, we don't know exactly what he's saying. Uh, but Rebihuda makes some sort of difference between lashes and the fine of a hundred sella. Sigmar wants to know what exactly are they arguing about? Sigmar says the Gemara is going to give two different ways to understand this dispute. This is how we have to understand the dispute. The first opinion follows the position that uh, they don't have to have, in order for this, uh, these rulings to apply, they do not have to have sexual relations. Even if they don't have sexual relations, as long as they had a chuppah, the husband is lying about it, he has to pay, and he receives lashes. Rebuhuda argues, Rebuhuda argues and says, no, uh, the entire Torah is really talking about a case where they, after they had sexual relations. And therefore, in order for there to be a fine of 100 sela, so then uh, it has to be a case where it's after they had sexual relations. Rebuhuda just adds, and this is according to Rashi, this is an important point, however, lashes he will still receive even if they didn't have sexual relations. Why? Because it could be that he also violated a different uh, Torah commandment, which is that one cannot speak, say, say uh, rechilos. They cannot um, speak negatively about somebody else, um, and they and they would receive lashes, even though in order to receive lashes in general, this is just a, really a side topic. Uh, one would need to do an action, and here it's not an action; it's just words. Rabbi Yehuda happens to be of the opinion that lashes even exist if there are no, if there is no action. Even if there's no action, they would still receive lashes. So Rabbi Yehuda is saying, even if they didn't have sexual relations, there's a separate reason why they would, why he would receive lashes, which is the fact that he's speaking negatively about his wife uh, and lying about his wife. Until so he received lashes for that. With regards to our topic of Motzi Shemra, 
in order to have the fine of a hundred sela, so then they need to have sex relations. That's all according to Behuda. The first opinion, again, the first opinion says, doesn't make a difference. As long as they're married, even if they never had sex relations, uh, these, all these penalties would apply. That's, that is, um, that is the first way of understanding this dispute. We'll read now, we're above the 20 minute line, but we'll, we'll, we'll read the second way of understanding the dispute and we'll complete this stuff. Ikadamri, uh, the alternative way. According to this second way of understanding it, no, everybody agrees at this stage, everybody agrees that in order for the, us to apply Motsi Shemra, they've had to have sexual relations. The first opinion says, in order for there to be lashes, the, the, the penalty, financial penalty, they had to have sexual relations, and then he comes and accuses his wife. That's the first opinion. Rebhu Domer, locus local mikomakum. The Gemara says, according to Rabbi Yehuda, it sounds like they do not have to have sexual relations. That there's always lashes, even if there's no sexual relations. It seems to be that he agrees with the one with the financial penalty they needed to have sexual relations. When it comes to lashes, not necessary. So the Gemara says, is that really true? But we see that Rabbi Yehuda does make a distinction. In the end of the day, we'll have two, two ways of understanding Rabbi Yehuda. So again, according to the second version, we have two versions. First version, the first opinion says uh, this whole all these penalties apply even if they don't have sexual relations. Within the second version, the first opinion says the opposite, even if they it only applies if they have sexual relations. The Gemara now is trying to figure out the position of Rabbi Huda. What does Rabbi Huda hold? And so we have two answers. Amr of Nachmar The first answer is is that she would, he would receive lashes, not on a biblical level. On a biblical level, they had to have sexual relations. But on a rabbinic level, there's a concept that on a rabbinic level, the rabbis will um, will enforce lashes. Now, this might not be the same type of lashes, uh, but they will enforce some form of lashes. And Rabbi is saying this this would even apply if they did not have sexual relations. They didn't, uh, for the first time, uh, the rabbis will enforce uh, lashes. That is one way of understanding it. Rav Papa Amar, moving on to 46a, my baaloka de katani hasam mamon vikari lela mamon the hasam mamon. But Papa says that no, um, really, there will always be lashes, uh, even if they didn't have sexual relations. And Rabbi Yehuda, when he said that it depends on sexual relations, he was really referring to the uh, financial penalty, the the penalty to pay the one hundred sela. Even though they use the language of lashes, it really means the financial payment. Where it says, do we ever find that anywhere? The Karlila Mamon Malkos, do we ever call uh, a payment by the language of lashes? Where it says, yes, we do find one place in Batanana Omar Chatsi Arko, Allah Inosin Chatsi Arko, Riosi Brabihud Omar Loka Vinosin Erech Shalim, Loka Amaya, Omar Papa Loka Erech Shalim, my time Xira Chatsi Arko, Atu Erech Chatsio. Essentially, to make a to to give a quick summary of this, we find in another context, yes, uh, the language of malkos of lashes is really used about paying a certain amount. Um, it has to do within the context of erichin, uh, that when a person says that I have a certain value, we have to figure out what that value is that they are going to donate to uh, to to Hashem uh, to the base of mikdash. And within that conversation, within that context, uh, the language of loka is used, lashes, when it really means a uh, um, a payment. That's really used as, as a form of a payment. 
It's referring to in the context where a person says, I'll pay half of my value. So one opinion says half your value is half your value. The other opinion says, no, half your value, we're concerned that you can confuse half of your value with half of your body. If it's half of your body, so then you have to pay your whole value because losing half your body, uh, a person dies. So half their body, it's uh, the amount of half their body, so then uh, it's like uh, it's like the, the entire person. Um, and so because we're confused, you have to pay the full amount. And in that context, it uses the language of loka. Anyways, um, the language of lashes. In the end of the day, we had this dispute uh, between these two opinions. How do I understand Rabbi Huda? Either Rabbi Huda is talking about that there's always lashes on a rabbinic level. Alternatively, there's lashes on a biblical level. Uh, and when he mentioned that there's lashes only after uh, after they have sexual relations, that's really referring to the financial obligation. Uh, so this is a little confusing because there's two different uh, two different uh, versions. Uh, but essentially, the, the big question is, when did, would he have to uh, pay uh, and receive lashes? Is it specifically after they have sexual relations when he makes the accusation? Or if it's as long as it's after the chuppah, after they get married, but even if it's before they have sexual relations?